there are certain things that, that God can only do in worship, that a sermon, a message can never, never do. And yeah, it, there, there were quite a lot of words that came out during worship, which aligns very nicely with what I'm about to share. But yeah, I think the, 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 today's going to be maybe a little bit different. I'm going to go through 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 13, and then going to just chat through it with you guys. But in it, I want you to feel encouraged, to feel like, okay, we can do this. I want you to have perspective on life, um, that you would actually leave you with some perspective of eternity and have that as the, the thing in front of you. And that uh, when you face suffering and challenges in life, that that would be the perspective that carries you through, um, that that would be that hope that you have in front of you. And then all of us are ministers. Like, uh, it's not that if you are saved, if you believe in Jesus, you are to function in some form of ministry. Um, it's the ministry of the saints. It's not the ministry of the elders. It's everybody functioning, fulfilling the fun function of the call that the Lord has on your life. And I, I pray that after this message, there would also be just a stirring again of that to say, I'm going to take the ground that God has prepared for me, that part that is my inheritance. I'm going to lay hold of that. I'm going to labor hard for that part of my ministry. Um, so, I'm, like I was saying, I'm going to go through Second Timothy uh, chapter 2, but 2 Timothy is, as far as we're aware, the last letter that Paul wrote, or at least it's the last one that we have, that we're aware of. So, you might have written some other letters, but this was the, in the, in the entire New Testament, this is the late, last letter that he wrote. So, this was the letter that was written closest to his death. Now, it's often been said, imagine you're Paul, you know you're about to be martyred for your faith, you're about to be executed, and then they come to you and say, okay, Paul, We'll give you one more opportunity. You can write one more letter. You must decide who you're going to write it to, and then obviously you must decide what you want to write in it. And he says, okay, I'm going to write it to Timothy, my one true son in the faith. And then the question is, what are you going to write? So Paul, he's lived his entire life zealously for God. He started off as a Pharisee, zealously persecuting the church, and then Jesus met him face to face and knocked him off his horse. And in that space, he became a Christian, and then he gave his life zealously for the kingdom, and he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was the one that broke open the, the Gentile nations for God, that he, he went into Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi and Macedonia and all of these regions and broke open something of the kingdom um, in those regions. And now he has to, write, it to the write a letter to the next generation, Timothy, who is to take this work forward, who is to carry on the work that he has started, to run the, the race, to fight the good fight, to keep on going. So what are you going to write to this person? So we see in chapter 1, he starts basically just encouraging him. He's, the entire uh, Second Timothy is just full of instructions. Like it's just um, verbs all the time, like do this, do this. And it's a lot of encouragement in the middle of that. So Second Timothy 1 starts by saying, um, verse 6 and 7, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and of self-control. So it's like, come on, you can do this. Like, you do not have a spirit of fear. You have a power of love, a spirit of love, power, and of a sound mind or self-control. So fan into flame this gift that you have. Don't just sit back and say, okay, cool, I'm, I'm kind of comfortable. But fan into flame this thing that God has for you. Verse 8, it says, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. 
if, if you're in, like all of us are living in the world, if you're functioning in some kind of a context in class or in work, there is going to be opportunities for you to share the good news. Are you going to be ashamed, draw back? Are you going to um, not be ready to suffer potential consequences of sharing? Or are you going to be bold in your faith? Share it. Because the, like with, without that person hearing the gospel, they might never be saved. There's an eternity waiting for us after this. So come on, like wake up. Guys are going to hell for all eternity. Do you want them to end up there? Or are you going to share the gospel so that they can be saved and drawn into life, out of the kingdom of darkness into life? Um, verse 13 and 14, he says, Hold on to sound teaching. Guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Sound teaching is these days quite hard to come by. If you just open up YouTube or you just Google something, you will find so much nonsense out there. Like, there is some good in between it, but there is a lot of nonsense out there. Um, even in preparing this, I was just uh, looking at a, a commentary on some verse I was wanting to have some more info on. And I was just reading this commentary, I'm like, sure, man, this guy missed the point so entirely, and it's, it's, it's not helpful. <laughs> and we need to have that, that cons uh, conscious discernment the whole time to say, is this sound teaching? Am I holding on to the sound teaching? Am I actually boarding around what is true? Or am I boarding around what maybe sounds nice for me and it's actually what I want to hear? So there's this encouragement. Hold on to this um, precious truth. Okay, and now we get to chapter 2. And I'm going to read through the first seven verses. And then, then I will start chatting through it. And then we'll carry on from there. So you can put it up. So you then, my child, that's obviously Paul writing to Timothy, and Timothy is his true son in the faith, his child. Um, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And as I'm reading through this, kind of try to get as much out of it as I'm just reading through it. So, so ask yourself, what stands out to you? What is jumping out at you? What is the thing that, that maybe is piercing your heart a little bit? What is the, the thing that you can already take hold of? So start thinking with me as I'm reading through it. Start thinking about what these things mean for us. So be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I want to, want to stop there for a second on that last verse. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You can go to the next. So think and give. Well, there's been a lot of verbs in this passage that we read, but think and give is, are two other verbs I want to draw your attention to. Think is an action that you should do. Give is an action that God does. When we read the Bible, we should think about what we read. Paul is encouraging me, think about what I say. I just shared something that maybe is a little bit complicated, or I, I realize this is quite dense. I just packed a lot of information in, in three small pictures. But think over what I'm going to say, what I'm saying, because the Lord will give you understanding. But then it expands, it expands to everything in Scripture. Think about the Scripture that you read so that the Lord will give you understanding. It's the same picture that we see in um, Psalm 1, and let's just go there quickly. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We can substitute there on his word he meditates day and night, or his delight is in the word of God, in the Bible, in the scriptures. This person that meditates on the law day and night, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, um, and in all that he, he does, he prospers. All of us want to claim that last bit. We all want to be like trees planted by the river, like we've got fruit that's just multiplying, and we all prosper in all that we do. But there's kind of a requirement that he gives to this. If we want to be like that, we need to delight ourselves in the, the word of the Lord. We need to meditate on his word day and night. And the emphasis here, I'm sure you've heard this, but the word meditation in Christianity is almost the exact opposite of the word meditation in Hinduism and Buddhism. It's diametrically opposed. In Hinduism and Buddhism, the entire idea is how can you become more focused on all the parts of your body, what is going on, ex ex uh, exclude all external thoughts, like just re remove all thoughts from your mind. That is Eastern meditation. That's not what this meditate talks about. This meditate is to focusedly think about, to actively think about the scriptures, to constantly consider and thoroughly um, work through it. That is to meditate. It's like you go over and over and over the scriptures. It's, it's become so part of you that it's almost like if, if someone pokes you, out pops the scripture. So that's what it means to meditate. If you go back to the previous slide, that's what we need to do as Christians. We ought to be people that think about what we read. It's not just, oh, I read the Bible, great, close it, pray, move on with my life. We, we think we pray, asking God for understanding. We trust that he will give us understanding. We read some more. We think, we pray, we trust. It's a constant engagement with God as to saying, Holy Spirit, you revealed the scriptures. You breathe the scriptures. Reveal them to me. Make them alive again for me. Let it become like a two-edged sword that cuts through bone and marrow, that it's not just text on a page, but that it becomes living and active. So that is why we need to think. It's in an engagement with what is being said. So that is... My first encouragement to you, when you read the Bible, read it, think about what you read, then think some more, pray about it, ask God for, for wisdom, and then this is the amazing promise that he ends with. He says, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You first think, then the Lord will give. He will give you understanding in everything. It's not just that you have to figure this out by yourself. He is the one that gives you understanding. There's the trust and reliance on him to actually open this up for you. It's going to read uh, Proverbs 25, verse 2. It's, uh, it's a, um, it says, it's the glory of God to conceal things, but it's the glory of kings is to search it out. So somehow, I'm not sure exactly why, but I, I have a guess. It's the glory of God to conceal things. But he doesn't conceal things so that we can't find them out. He conceals them so that we actually have to put effort to find them out. And then it's the glory of kings, which we all ought to be in the sense, to search things out. We should search things out that God has concealed. It's not just, oh, okay, I read this one passage, I didn't understand it, okay, move on, let's forget about it. It's, it's you know, most people, I don't understand the Bible the first time I read it. Like, it takes some, some labor, some searching out to get to the wisdom, the treasures that's in the Bible. So, yeah, encouragement, be like kings that search things out. All right, so let's get back to the passage that we're talking about, Second Timothy 2 verse 1 to 13. So we now, now know now that we need to think about what we read, and then God will give us understanding. So it starts by saying, you then, my child, be strengthened. So it's an instruction. Be strengthened 
by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, it's, uh, okay, let me just read on. And um, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. So why does he need to be strengthened? Why do we need to be strengthened? So that we can do the things that God has asked us to do. So that in this case, we can entrust what we have received to faithful men who can commit it to others. It's not just a thing of, I'm going to do the work of ministry. It's, I need to be strengthened to do the work of ministry. And the interesting thing here for me is that, where do we get the strength? Or what, what is the, the strengthening coming from? It's by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So grace, if I ask you quickly, what, what, what is grace? What is the definition of grace? Yes, so that's, that's the classic definition. Grace means God's unmerited favor. And that is true. And that is always true in any context that you apply grace. The one thing that we sometimes get stuck on is grace ends up just being pardoned from sin. So we sinned, we needed forgiveness, God's grace, grace is the thing that gives us forgiveness. We sometimes stop there and, and forget that grace is actually the thing that enables and strengthens and supports us all the way through our Christian walk. It's not just a, I'm cleansed from sin, grace. It is a strengthened for the work of God, grace. Um, so that's why you're strengthened by the grace of God. I'm just going to quickly read three, three passages if you want to, wanted to make notes. In Ephesians 2 verse 5, it talks about the grace that has made us alive again with Christ. So it's grace that made us alive um, with Christ. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 Grace enables us to abound in good works. How do we abound in good works? It's the grace that enables us to do it. Titus 2, verse 11 and 12. Grace trains us to renounce ungodliness. Grace trains us to say no to ungodliness, to, to get it out of our lives. Grace trains us. It's an active working thing in our lives. It's through Christ that this works in our lives. It's through trusting in him. And that's why it says, the grace, where is it found? It's in Christ Jesus. We find this grace in him as we constantly trust in him, rely on him to enable us, to strengthen us for what we need to do, to walk this Christian life out on this earth. Um, it's not just a, a thing us to, okay, God said, okay, great, you need to do this thing now. Now you're all by yourself. He gives us the Holy Spirit, he empowers us, and his grace continually strengthens us to be able to, be able to do this. And then the second part is, we need to entrust this to faithful men who will be able to teach others. And you, know, you can go to the picture now. This is basically what the picture looks like. So Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's writing to many others as well. Like we have a letter to Philemon, we've got a letter to Titus, etc. And Timothy is one of those, one of his sons in the faith. And he says to Timothy, what, what, you've, been, what you've received, commit that to faithful men. So let's just say he commits it to three faithful men. And he commits it to them in such a way that they commit it to others in the same way. Then we can see that each one of those three committed to three. And suddenly from just Timothy, there are 12 people that are reached, that are faithful men that can commit what they have received to others. That is the picture of discipleship. If your discipleship doesn't look like that, then you're not doing discipleship properly. Discipleship means that you're making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. It keeps on growing. You don't need to reach the world. You only need to, in Jesus' case, reach 12 people who will then reach the world. It is constantly expanding if you bought property into people. And now I'm going to challenge a little bit everyone here. Um, Kala used the, uh, preached the message recently where he quoted from Hebrews 5 verse 12. And Hebrews 5 verse 12 says, You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teachers of others by now. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. The, the, the emphasis is on the first bit. 
It's like you've been, you can almost hear the writer of Hebrews saying, come on guys, like I've invested so much in you. I've entrusted what I've had in you. You ought to be teachers by now. Like you ought to have been faithful men that can take what you've received and give that to others. Yet you are still like getting stuck on the basic things and you constantly need someone to feed you milk. You constantly stay dependent where you should have progressed by now. And if you're a new believer, it's entirely fine to need milk. But how long can you remain a baby Christian? How long can you stay in that state? You need to start saying, okay, well, from the get-go, I have been given something. Even if you just understand the cross and the resurrection, it's like, okay, Jesus died for me. And because that, my sins are forgiven and I'm made right with God. I've got that to share with someone. That's a faithful truth that's been entrusted to me and I can share it with someone. And if someone asks me tough questions, that's fine. Just say, I don't know, I'll go find out for you. That, that's how I learn things. It's like people ask me tough questions. I constantly put myself in conversations where people ask me questions that I don't know the answers to. And then I, I go and read up about it because I don't naturally go find out these things. I, I'm challenged in my faith in some areas. And then I go investigate. I go think about what the Bible says. And then through that, I grow and become more mature so that I can then help others. So let's, let's not be like these people in Hebrews, that we, we just stay baby Christians but that we would realize that we've all received the great commission of Jesus by, per extension. Because Jesus, when he gave the great commission to the, his disciples, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. What did Jesus command them to do? He commanded them to go and make disciples of all nations. So if they teach the nations what Jesus has commanded, then those people which should also be making disciples who teach others to go and make disciples. So we've all received this mandate. We should, in any capacity that we have, start to take what we have and entrust it to others. Keep on sharing what you have with others. So my challenge this morning to you is, are you a faithful man? Are you a faithful woman that has received the truths entrusted to you so that you would be able to commit it to others? Because a faithful man doesn't just keep things to himself. He shares it with others. Faithful man realizes that it's not just God saved me for myself, but he saved me so that through my actions and, and input into people's lives, they can also be saved. But now there's a cost to this. There's a cost to making disciples. There's a, there's a genuine suffering that we will face if we start following this mindset. And that's why Paul shares three images. That's the image of the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Go on to the next slide. So I'm just going to read through it quickly, uh, and then I'll start from the top. So sharing the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So he starts by saying, sharing the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Again, share is a, is a verb. You need to do this, share in the suffering as a good soldier. It's almost like an instruction to us. So let's think about a soldier first of all. all right, um, Luca, my, my oldest son, he's now four years old. He, he, one of his favorite songs is Akisnia Stapsodai Kitty. So I don't know, it's, a, it's, it's just always a deeper thing for me there. It's like, I'm a But what does what a soldier do? When, when a soldier, is, uh, when a soldier en enlists in an army or when he's conscripted, as uh, David 
Ach, David might, might uh, know in some sense. Um, then he, he joins an army. Now, no soldier that has ever enlisted in an army has ever received a certificate that says, this certificate guarantees that you will not get killed in this war. No soldier ever receives a certificate that says you don't need to lay down your life. In, in, in reality, no soldier ever joins an army thinking that, no, this is not going to cost me my life. He joins with the understanding that this might cost me my life. I might need to lay down my life. I might need to die. That is part of becoming a soldier, is dealing with that reality that you might be giving your life. And in the same sense, we need to become good soldiers in God's army. We need to be willing that this might cost me my life. It's not a light thing. You need to count the cost. There's a reward that you need to count as part of the cost because the reward is so much greater than the cost. But you need to consider this. We need to be a soldier in the army of God. And we see this in Revelation um, what's it, 12 verse 11. It says, And they have conquered him, that's now Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. How did they conquer Satan? How should we be conquering Satan? Or by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony? Yes, those things need to be there. But if it comes to it that we do not love our lives even unto death, what does a person look like that doesn't love his life even unto death? It's someone that has commitment. It's someone that has absolute single focusedness to the, the purpose that he is enlisted in this army for. He is not getting distracted with the comforts of this world and saying, oh, this is going to be so nice. I just want to sit a little bit in the jacuzzi and chill. He's like, no, there is a greater purpose. There's a calling here that I'm part of. There's a commander on which I am serving. And this commander has said, we are going in this direction and I'm going with him. And if that costs me my life, that's fine. I do not love my life unto death. And these are the people that Satan fear the most because these are the ones that overcome him. These are the ones that conquer and if you, if you think about this commitment, it's, it's a commitment that says, I am so committed that I will endure whatever hardship and suffering comes my way. I will finish the race strong. I won't just, oh, when I start to get tired, just get out of it and say, okay, I'm out of the game. You guys carry on. I'm out. It's a commitment that says, I'm going to push through all the way up until the end. And if you really think about it, this life is comparatively brief to, compared to eternity. Like, we don't have even the slightest conception of how long eternity is. Like eternity is not even measurable in our quantities that we have. If you consider your life a little raindrop and you consider eternity the ocean, you haven't even started to understand how big eternity is. It's much greater than the ocean compared to a raindrop. So our, our lives here are so brief that it's actually in our best interest to say, why would I give up eternal glory for just some momentary relief and comfort in this life? If my life is not laid down to the extent that I, I'm overcoming, then what, where will I be in eternity? Does, it, does, does the reward still have that weight in your hearts? Does eternity still have that weight in your hearts that you would run the race and fight as a good soldier despite the cost? So as a soldier, we, we ought to say in our hearts, like for me, the, the most important thing in life is that I do the will of my master, the one that has enlisted me, to do the will of God. That is the most important thing in my life, and let that be the priority. Okay, so then he goes into the three in more detail. He started off with a picture of a soldier, and then he says, okay, wait, I'm going to just share three pictures to try to explain the nuance of this, because there's actually a lot of nuance to 
the suffering that we face as we make disciples, as we advance the kingdom. And we need to just unpack this a little bit. So um, all of these, all three of these, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, all of them need to uh, lay down their lives in some sense. They all need to deny themselves some comfort or something that they want for a future reward that they don't see at the moment. So I just want to repeat that. All of them need to deny themselves for some future reward that they do not see at the moment. And if I can just ground it quickly, all of us need to deny ourselves some things in life for the future reward which we will have in eternity. So let's start with the soldier. With the soldier, there's a, a suffering, and with the suffering, there's kind of an exhortation, kind of like an encouragement to say, come on, guys, you can do this. So the suffering of the soldier is that he should not get entangled in civilian pursuits. So in other words, his suffering is that he cannot follow his own desires. Like he has to yield to a greater purpose. He has become part of a greater thing of the army. So he's, um, he's suffering in the sense that he must be focused um, on what really matters. And to put a single word to this, he must be single-minded. He must be single-minded. And what is the promise for the soldier? The promise is that he, he is to please the one who enlisted him. And, and I'm going to phrase this in a different way. One day when I stand before Jesus, the thing that I'm looking forward to him saying is, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. May we be so consumed with the joy of our master in this life that one day when we stand before him, he would say, enter into this joy of mine. That we have given our lives for our master, for Jesus, in such a way that we can enter into his joy. Let that be our reward. Let that be the promise and the hope we hold on to. So how does this relate to um, discipleship? It's so easy to, to numb yourself with the distractions of the world, to just clutch out a little bit, to say, listen, I just need a little bit of, of, a, of a rest here. I'm just going to sit and binge some Netflix or something. But uh, what we need to do is we need to, like a soldier, train, your, train ourselves to be skillful in the weapons of a warfare that we need to fight with. Some of the weapons of a warfare is the, the armor of God. We have the shield of faith. We need to make sure we know how to use the shield of faith. We need to know how to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the helmet of salvation, the bout of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of the readiness of the gospel of peace. We should have these on us. Know how to use our, our armor skillfully so that we can be an effective soldier in the army. We need to follow a commander. What, was, what is the purpose of our commander? What is the purpose of Jesus? He said he came to seek and save the lost. That should be our purpose in this life, is to seek and save the lost. And then remember, we are in a spiritual battle. So when situations demand it, and you need to fight, you need to fight. You need to gird up yourself and fight the battle, not get out of the battle. Not run away when the, when the uh, battle gets going. Strengthen yourself by the grace of God. That is why he started with, with that idea. It's like, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be suffering. You need to be continually strengthened by the grace of God that's in Christ Jesus. Okay, the next one is the athlete. So what is the athlete's suffering? He needs to compete according to the rules. Is, is, does that sound like suffering? <laughs> we ought to do that, obviously. So, so his suffering is that he must follow the rules, even though there might be some situations and some circumstances where cheating would be advantageous, even alluring, if... If it's clear that nobody will see, nobody will know, it's like, uh, it's just, I'm getting a little bit of a side advantage here. That is what he needs to deny. He needs to deny that urge to say, I want to get ahead by any means possible. 
In other words, he needs to have, with a single word, integrity. The athlete needs to have integrity. Now, I want to just share a quick example. How deep does the integrity go in your life? Let's say, for example, um, the coffee shop, they ran out of milk, and then um, they came to me, it's like, hey, Rensu, we, we don't have milk. And I was like, okay, cool. I was at the shop yesterday, and I saw the milk costs, let's say, 40 rand. So, yes, 40 rand, go and buy some milk. And then the guy ends up at the shop. He, he sees, oh, wait, there's a special on milk today. Today, the milk only costs 30 rand. Okay, great. So, he buys the milk with the 40 rand. He gets his 10 rand change. And now he's got a choice. It's like, Rensu thinks it costs 40 rand, so I can keep this 10 rand. It's like, nobody's going to know. It's like, just a little bit of a side advantage for me. Or do you have the level of integrity to say, even if nobody knows, even if nobody really even cares, I will still act in integrity. I will still act in integrity. Because ultimately, God knows, God sees. We will one day be standing before him having to give an account, give an answer for everything we've done in the body. And that 10 rand might come back and uh, haunt you. <laughs> so so let, another example, which um, how many of you know Lance Armstrong? Lance Armstrong. Okay, so Lance Armstrong, he's a famous cyclist. Um, he's, he's now more infamous, but uh, he, he competed in the Tour de France. The Tour de France is the, the greatest cycling competition in the world. And he won the Tour de France seven times. He had a super um, inspirational story as well that he um, suffered from cancer and he overcame that and he's like cycling in this race. So he's, he's this figure that everybody respected, looked up to. And then it came out in 2012 that, oh, he was doping while he was cycling. In other words, he was using illegal substances to give him an unfair advantage. And they did all the tests while he was cycling. It was never picked up until after he had already won all of the competitions. And what happened was the body in the world, the organization that uh, governs this, they stripped him of all seven his Tour de France titles, and they banned him for life from ever competing again in a cycling tournament. So for a time, it might seem advantageous to get away with You get away with it. It's fine. But ultimately, when, when judgment comes, <laughs> then it will be clear who was actually in the right and who was not. So, so what, is, what is the promise then for the cyclist, uh, for, for the um, athlete? The promise for the athlete is that he will get crowned if he competes according to the rules. He will, he will get the victory. And we see in James 1 verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So, the, I'm just going to read that again. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. There is a requirement that we remain steadfast, that we keep on enduring. When things get tough, when the trials come, we remain steadfast. And then in our steadfastness, not, not cheating, competing according to the rules, we get the crown of life. So how does this relate to discipleship? What does it even mean to compete according to the rules in our spiritual life? So as an athlete, first of all, they need to train hard. They often need to train in secret. They, they need to wake up early and hit the track. Nobody sees, nobody even knows, but they have to put in the effort. And that's, that's kind of an analogy for our quiet time. Like we do a lot of time with God in secret where we become spiritually fit. We strengthen our spirit man so that we can actually end up running this race. 
we can't just run without constantly putting into our tank. We need to have a full life with Jesus so that we can actually run this race. And we, we get that with time spent with him. And then when you're running and your body is tired and you're exhausted and you feel like you cannot keep on going, that's when you, you, keep, you, you need to keep on enduring. You need to keep on pushing on, um, get people around you, trust for, for, for continual strength from the, the, from the grace of God through his spirit to be able to keep on running. And then don't cheat. How do we cheat? We cheat by making the message of Christ more appealing to others. We cheat by saying, hey, listen, you can actually keep on living your life the way you want to. Just add Christ to it. Then, then like, you can say you're saved. Just add Jesus to your, your comfy, cushy life. That is not salvation. Salvation is where you have said, I have denied myself. I've picked up my cross, and I'm following you, Jesus. If we dilute the message and make it more palatable for people, it will look like lots of people are getting saved. Suddenly, we will have all of the numbers that we want. We will have all the money that we want because look at how successful our ministry is. People are running to Jesus, but they're actually just running to a perverted version of Jesus. And that is, that is how we can cheat, is we, we, make, we, we dilute the message. We, we don't want to offend anyone, so we, we make it all nice and comfy. But Jesus has come, to, he's the rock of offense. <laughs> he's the one that people stumble on. It's not that we should be the stumbling block. He is, he is the one that people stumble on. And we need to present him properly, fully, appropriately, um, so that people can actually be saved in their entire being. And then also when you face persecution, don't stop running for Jesus. Keep on pressing on. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the crown that you will receive if you keep on persevering. Don't, in the middle of persecution, say, hey, this is not fun anymore. I'm going to get out of this race. Keep on pushing on. Okay, so then the third one is the farmer. So the hardworking farmer, um, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. What is his suffering? It's the fact that he needs to work hard. So his suffering is the sweat of his brow that he has to put in effort, work hard to actually get the harvest. So if I can put it a single word, he needs to be diligent. He needs to continually put in the effort that's required. Um, Ecclesiastes 11 verse 6, it says, um, Plant your seeds in the morning and keep busy all afternoon, for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe both. So that, that's a spiritual principle as well. Uh, Paul kind of communicated in this way to Timothy. He says, um, preach the gospel in season and out of season. Do the work of an evangelist. Don't, don't think like, okay, well, it doesn't seem like this is now the season to do this, or this is not advantageous now to, for the message to go forward. It's like, you don't know. That person might have prayed that morning. It's like, Jesus, just let someone speak to me about you, and then I will actually put my faith and trust in you. And then you, you are that person that, in the worst of circumstances, speaks the word that gets that person to, to turn to Jesus. So, in season, out of season, we need to be ready to sow the seeds. We need to be ready to um, water and to, to harvest when the harvest is ready. So what is the promise? Well, the promise for the farmer is that he, he gets the first share of the crops. So in some sense, if we consider the um, salvation of people, the harvest, then it's the, the reward is that he enjoys the first share of the crops. He gets to experience this growth of God's kingdom firsthand. He, it's through his labor that he sees, hey, God's kingdom is expanding. People are coming to know Jesus. So for discipleship, you, you might feel like in the middle, you're in the middle of a grind. You just need to keep plowing hard ground. It's just not going anywhere. 
the encouragement is keep on doing that. Keep on working hard. Keep on sowing the seed. Keep on watering and you will ultimately reap. So, if I can just summarize those three words again for the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Single-mindedness, integrity, and diligence. Those are the character traits that we need to get into our hearts so that we can be effective discipleship makers. So, all of us are in different places in our lives. You might relate to some of these analogies more than others at this stage in your life. You might feel you're like a soldier. You're just um, in a battle the whole time. You need to keep on fighting. You might feel like um, an athlete. Maybe you're just recovering from an injury. It's like, ah, this is just hard. Like, I'm, I need to keep on running, but I'm w- running with a limp. It's, it's okay. Like, get, get the help you need. Massage that pain out and then keep on running. You might be like the farmer. You might have gone through the worst drought of your life. You've labored and you've not seen any fruit on your labor. You might have gone through the best rainy season of your life. You've just sown one seed and then suddenly an entire crop springs up. In whatever season you are, keep this eternal perspective of the eternal rewards in mind as you keep on um, pursuing God. So, as I was saying, the perspective that we should keep is, the, is eternity. It's like what we have in eternity. When we deny ourselves, when we, we give up our current comforts for this future, uh, future reward that we're expecting, um, that is where we... We need to have our hearts set. And Colossians 3 verse 2 says, set your mind on things above. Matthew um, 6 verse 19, 21 is gather for yourself treasures in heaven, not on earth. That, that is our focus, not, not to get consumed with this earth, but to get more consumed with, with eternity and where we're going. Okay, so to read the last few verses of the passage for today, verse 8 says, always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach um, this good news, I'm suffering and I've been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So I'm, right, uh, I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. So Paul's perspective is, life is tough. I'm ministering, I'm doing, I'm sharing the gospel that has been entrusted to me, but I have to endure. Why am I able to endure? Because I have the salvation of people and the eternal glory of them and myself in mind. Like, that is why he's enduring, is if it, I'm willing to endure, if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. Do we still have that weight to eternity? I have said this a few times, but do we still have that weight of eternity? That in our colleagues, our friends that we're engaging with, that their salvation and eternal glory is the thing that we are consumed with, that we would endure in laboring and sharing the good news with them? Or is it just like, ugh, if they don't want to choose Jesus, it's fine. Like, let them just go to eternal damnation. Do we still have this weight, guys? So then in the next passage, it kind of has a bit of a poetic style. It says, this is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. That's an eternal perspective. It's like, I'm willing to lay my life down. I do not love my life unto death. Because if I die with him, I will also live with him. If, I, if we endure hardship, we will reign with him. That's again, eternal, eternal mindset. If we deny him, he will deny us. That's a hard one. I'll get back to that one. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He, his nature is faithful. So if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. And in that sense of unfaithfulness, it's not talking about we 
we're losing our salvation. We are re- losing something of our reward. Um, we see that in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 3 verse 15, where it says, for, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ, Je- Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. So, how you build, how you labor in the God's kingdom, it will become clear whether you bought with straw and hay. In other words, um, you just did half a work. You didn't actually do it properly. You maybe diluted the gospel a little bit. That's, that work will become manifest because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test the sort of work um, each person has done. Then he goes on. Um, if the work that anyone has bought on the foundation survives, it will receive a reward. And that's what we, we're working towards. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. In other words, he will lose his reward, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, I definitely don't want to find out what it means to be saved as through fire. So let's just not go there. Let's just do the proper boarding so that we would receive our reward. And that, that is how I understand that if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. It's that we are still saved. He's still going to keep us in his hand despite that. And then to end with that last hard part that I was mentioning, if we deny him, he will also deny us. There, that uh, verse 12, if we deny him, he will deny us. In Matthew 10, verse 33, Jesus says a very similar thing. He says, but whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Anyone who denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean if he denies us? Now, I want to just maybe preface here because it was a great word that Mumyak brought. Is there might be some areas in your life where you've denied him, where you've been like Peter. And when people said, hey, you're also a Christian. It's like, no, no, I'm not a Christian. You're denying Jesus before men. And just like Peter, there is space to repent and to turn back to Jesus and he restores But if you persist in your denying of him before men, you just say, oh, I'm just a Christian secretly in my heart between me and Jesus. But there's no public, no one knows ever that you're a Christian because you're just keeping it so so hidden. Then you are, in in a sense, denying him before men. And then he says he will deny us before the Father. It's a a scary thing because um, like in the, the parable of the five foolish and five wise virgins, and five had oil in the lambs, five didn't. And then when the five foolish virgins came to Jesus, the bridegroom, um, and they came to the door and they knocked and said, hey, let us in. Jesus taught them, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. They're not even let in. If you deny Jesus before men, he will deny you before the Father. I'm just going to read a commentator on this. Uh, I think it's quite punchy. It's John Gill is the commentator's name. He says, If we deny him, he will deny them to be disciples or that they belong to him. He will deny that he ever knew them, loved or approved of them. He will declare in the presence of his father his disapprobation of them, his indignation against them, and that they are workers of iniquity. Yea, he will do more. He will banish them from his presence and send them into everlasting burnings. So the weight is again, we need to be those Christians that do not deny, that do not shrink back, that do not keep our light under a bucket, but we, we share our faith. We're actually aiming to make disciples. We're seeking 
the kingdom to expand. We are consumed with the purpose of our commander, which is to seek and save the lost. That is our core. That is our great um, commission that God, has, Jesus has sent us out with, is go and make disciples. So yeah, that's, that's my message for today. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just quickly speak to maybe those of you that, that feel like what a lot, all of the things I'm saying is strange. You maybe don't know, you haven't actually met Jesus. You haven't actually come to know him as, as this commander, as, as your Lord. And uh, then it might sound very strange to, to hear something like, no, you need to deny yourself. You need to lay down your life. Like, why would you even do something like that? What, what sense is there? Like, I'm like, all of this, the life, life that I live is amazing. Like, look at all of these things I can enjoy and all of these things I can experience. Now you're saying I must deny myself. It's like, yes, that's what I'm saying. But why am I saying this? It's because I have discovered the treasure. I have discovered the eternal value that's in Jesus that is having a... Uh, eternal impact on my life. In eternity, there is a reward stored up for me, a crown of life that I can obtain. And that is where my perspective lies. It's, it's in eternity. It's in eternity where everything gets its proper perspective, where everything gets its proper value. If life has become suffering, if life has become hard, step into eternity again. Get your perspective from eternity. Look at your life from that perspective and see how meaningless everything is other than those things that are bought on the foundation of Jesus. So, if you have not given your life to Jesus, can I, can I maybe just ask you to be brave and just say, I am that person that you've just spoken of. I do not know this commander. I do not know why I would want to lay down my life. But I feel like today I, I want to give my life to this, this one that has got an eternal reward for me. Can you just quickly put up your hand. Okay, then I want to ask the rest of you. Because all of you know this commander. If you have climbed out of the game, if you have uh, gotten sidetracked with the civilian pursuits, if you have started to cheat a little bit in your run before, uh, with the Lord, not trained as much as you need to, you, you try to get away with some things, you say it's easier to cheat than to train hard. If you have lost your diligence and you're not really laboring anymore, you're just like, okay, I'm just here to receive. When I, you don't need to put up your hand. I wanted to challenge you this morning. Get that perspective from eternity. Ask the Lord again. Lord, put eternity in my hearts. Ecclesiastes 3 talks about the Lord has placed eternity in our hearts. May that eternity become real to you, that you would be driven from a place of eternity. We're not living for this life. We're living for eternity. We're not working and laboring for this life. We're working for eternity. Get that perspective again and board according to that. So let's pray together. Yes, Father, I, I thank you for, for your word, just the scripture that you've given us, Lord, so that we can actually learn your will, learn your heart, learn your desires, Lord, that we, we don't need to try to um, just figure our own way out in this life, Lord, you've actually given us, this is the truth. You've given us that stable foundation on which you can build our lives. Now, thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life so that we can be known by you, so that we can come close to you, so that we have access to you, Lord, the, the source of life, Lord. You're, the, you're the, the beginning and the end, and all things find its life and purpose in you, Lord. Thank you for giving us life, Lord. I pray that in, in our daily lives, Lord, when we know the call is to make disciples, Lord, 
when we know the call is to, to fight the good fight, to suffer for your name's sake, Lord, whatever it might cost so that your kingdom would be expanded and your word would be preached, Lord. When we know these truths, Lord, I pray that we would not shrink back, Lord. Give us that boldness again, Lord. Give us the confidence in your word, Lord, that we would be strengthened by your grace, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would be securely set in you so that we can walk in confidence, Lord. I pray again for an attitude of surrender to you, that it would be a heart that says, whatever my commander wants, whatever God's will is, that I will do, even if it goes against my own desires, even if I need to lay down something, even if I need to suffer some loss in this life so that I can gain eternal reward, Lord. Give us that heart, Lord. Give us that attitude that you are greater than all things. You are more valuable than all things, Lord. Lord, nothing compares to you. There's nothing that we can say that you know, this, this treasure that we have found in life is slightly close to God. Lord, you are such a, in a different category, Lord. Lord, make the value of the treasure visible to us again, Lord. Make it real and tangible to us again, Lord. So we can run this race, not grow.